You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, in celebration of Easter, Senior Minister Adam Hale brings us a message on why we can trust what the Bible has to say about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Well, good morning. It is great to see all of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we just want to say thank you for being here. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. Um, And because you're here, and uh, there's some of you that um, we're not used to seeing on this uh, every week, I just want to tell you what's coming up uh, real quickly. And uh, next week, next Sunday, we're going to start a new sermon series called The Struggle is Real. And so uh, that sermon series is going to be based on all the different struggles that we have. You know, like if you've, you've probably used that phrase if you're trying to fix a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you go to get the bread and all you got is a hot dog bun. You know, the struggle is real. You're like, we're going to talk about some real practical things that, that, struggle, that we struggle with. And uh, we'd love for you to be here. It's really, it's going to be about trying to live a Jesus-centered a, and other-centered life in a, in a very self-centered world. And so we'd love for you to be here for that. It's going to be for three weeks, starts next Sunday. On April the 29th, though, that's our next big day in the life of our church. And that's where we're going to celebrate the smallest of our, of our smalls. Um, that's our Baby Day dedication day. And, and Baby Day, everybody loves Baby Day because, you know, we bring all the babies up and they're all cute and all those things. And they haven't grown up yet and so they don't know everything yet. And so we love them. And we'll do the whole Lion King bit where we raise them up and do, the, you know, the whole Mufasa and, Elton John will be here, and he's going to do that big, you know, he won't be here, so, uh, but it'd be great if he was, uh, but that's April the 29th, that's going to be the beginning of a sermon series that we do that is for families, for family and parenting, and it's called It's Just a Phase, and so you won't want to miss that, it's going to be a great series, but April the 29th, that's our baby day celebration, it's going to be in the second service, the, this service, the 1045, and so if you have a child that you would like to have participate in that, just let me know, and I'll let you know the information that we'll need from you. But today, today's Easter, and today is a really big deal. Easter is a big deal. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to the church. It's a big deal to Christians all over the world. And the reason Easter is such a big deal is because it's the anchor of our faith. It is, it is the, the core of what we believe Easter goes to. If the resurrection is true... If Easter is true, if the resurrection is true, then it is game on for all things Christian. But if the resurrection did not happen, then it's game over. Because everything hinges and everything hangs on this one event. This one event in the history that we refer to as the resurrection, as Easter. And so that's why we say that the resurrection of Jesus is really what launched the church. It's really what what started the church. It's what started Christianity. Because before the resurrection, I don't know if you know this or not, or if you realize this or not, but before the resurrection, there were no Christians. There were no followers of Jesus. I mean, there were His disciples, and there was kind of a group of people that followed Him around where He went, but there were no followers like there are this movement of people today. There were no Christians before Jesus' resurrection. And when Jesus was crucified, everybody thought that Jesus would do what every person who dies does. And that's what? Stay dead. Yeah, because... That's what people do when they generally die. When Jesus died, everybody, even the people who loved Him, the, those who loved Him the most, they assumed that He would stay dead because that's what dead people do. Nobody was at the tomb that Easter, that Easter morning counting down backward from, 
from 10. You know, nobody was expecting uh, to find an empty tomb. Nobody was expecting nobody. There was nobody there that, that was at the tomb counting down going, you know, 10, 9, 8, cue the sun, 7, 6. Nobody was there doing that because nobody expected nobody. In fact, when, when the, the first people got there to the tomb, the disciples, they got there and they peered into the empty tomb, what did they say? They said, somebody stole the body. They said, somebody has come and stolen the body. We have to go find the body because nobody, even the disciples, were expecting nobody. The Apostle Paul, who wrote to some Christians living in Corinth in the first century, he summarized this beautifully. And so I want to read what Paul said, and then I want to tell you why it's so extremely important and so extremely relevant for every single one of us this morning. This is what he wrote to the Christians living in Corinth. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. You know, we hear that. I want to just... Pause there for a minute because we hear that word, the gospel. We hear that phrase is kind of a Christianese phrase that we, we've developed. We hear that all the time and we never really say, well, we never really explain what the gospel is. We, we hear that phrase and we say that phrase, but we don't explain it. Well, Paul's going to tell us what he means by the gospel. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. In other words, here's the most important thing. And here is the most important thing. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried. Because that's what you do with dead people, isn't it? You bury them. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was, dairy, that he was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. And then He appeared to Cephas, that's, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then after that he appeared to more than 500. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom, he says, are still living. That was Paul's way of saying, fact check me. If you don't believe what I'm saying here, if this sounds too good to be true, if it sounds too far-fetched, if you don't believe that Jesus was, was dead and buried and then raised from the dead and seen, you can fact check me because there are still people living. You can go to Jerusalem. There's still people there that were there. They're still living. You can go and check, the, check it out. You can ask them. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if, if you knew this or not, but throughout the New Testament, uh, when Christians write about people dying, they refer to death as falling asleep. And so Paul says this. He says, they're still living, though some of the folks who saw the risen Jesus have fallen asleep. In the New Testament, when people died, they referred to, to Christians that had died as falling asleep. And why would they do that? Because people that have fallen asleep generally do what? They, yeah, they wake up. And so Paul and the other Christians, they had that, so much confidence in the resurrection of Jesus that they were willing to say that they haven't, it's not that they've died, it's that they've fallen asleep because they're going to get back up. And then Paul Wraps it up this way, he says, Then he, Jesus, appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to all the apostles. Now, <clears throat> since the resurrection is the thing, since everything in Christianity rises and falls with the resurrection, here's what I want to do. I want to do three things and talk to three groups of people this morning in the few minutes that we have together. First of all, I want to assure all of you who believe 
I want to, want to assure all of you who believe but sometimes wonder. That, that, I fall into that category. I believe but sometimes I wonder. Don't we all wonder sometimes? We, we wonder, is this for real? Can, you, can this be true? Am I going to see loved ones after this? Is there really anything after this life? There's got to be more to life than just this, right? We all wonder that from time to time. But, but we're believers. This morning, I just want to, to assure you that your hope and your faith is not in vain. That there is more to life than just this life. For the second group of people that you're, you're here this morning and you think this is crazy. You think that uh, it is crazy that anybody in the 21st century would believe such a thing. That how could anybody believe that a dead person came back to life? That doesn't happen. It's not real. It only happens in the movies. In fact, the only reason you're here this morning is because you came with somebody and they said, hey, if you come to church with me, I'll take you to lunch afterwards. That's why you're here. And that's okay. Hey, I just want to say I'm glad you're here. Or maybe you're staying with family this weekend and, and they're like my family was growing up and, and if you stayed on the weekend and, and Sunday came, well, you were going to church. And so they said, hey, if you're going to come stay with us, you've got to go to church. And so you're here. Hey, I want to say I'm glad that you're here. Because this morning I want to, I want to just hopefully remove one obstacle in case you ever get to a point in life where you decide that you want to that you want to explore the claims of Jesus, that you want to try to discover more about who Jesus was or who he claimed to be, I hope to remove maybe one objection that you have toward faith. And then for those of you who, who may wonder if you could ever believe again, because you're like me, you were raised in the church, you went to, you went to church, you went to camp, you got the shirt, you threw your stick in the fire, you wrote all your sins down on something at camp, and, and they, they put them in the trash can and burned them, and you were supposed to uh, be a new creation, and all of those things, and you walked, and, and that was all good, you, you were baptized, you, you talked to a deacon or an elder or the preacher, you went on a mission trip, you did all of those things. And then you went off to college, or to grad school, or just started adulthood, and people started asking some very difficult questions about religion and about Jesus and about the Bible, and you went home and all you got were Sunday school answers. And the, and the questions that you had about your faith couldn't be answered, and so you lost your faith. This morning, I'm hoping today to give you a stepping stone back to the faith of your childhood. And here's the interesting thing for us, that in all three groups, we all fall in one of those three groups. For those of us who believe but sometimes wonder, for those of us who think it's, who, this is crazy, how could anybody ever believe this? And for those of you who would like to believe again but sometimes wonder if it's possible, we all fit into those groups. And the key for all of us is found in the passage of Scripture that I just read in 1 Corinthians 15. It shows us the way forward. And here's why I say that. Because the primary argument against the legitimacy of the Christian faith is the resurrection. The primary argument against, the Christ, uh, against Christianity as a legitimate faith is the resurrection. And the argument goes something like this, that the resurrection is a myth. The resurrection is a myth. It's a myth resulting from multiple decades of oral transmission that was exaggerated and changed over time to suit the needs and suit the agenda of a later generation of Christians. People told stories, and those people told stories, and those people told stories, and, and the next generation of those people told stories. And by the time any of these things about Jesus were written down, they were so far removed from the actual events that it couldn't be true. That it couldn't have an accurate reflection of what actually happened. That the, the uh, written accounts like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the written accounts were far too removed from the actual events to be accurate accounts. And so the resurrection has to be a myth. 
This is the classic argument against the resurrection, which makes it the classic argument against all Christianity. That the resurrection is just a legend. That it's hearsay. That it's, that it's a myth. And so this morning, I'm going to tell you something that you may have never heard before. I'm going to tell you something that perhaps your college professor, your graduate school professor, they might have known, but they certainly didn't tell you. Today I want to explain to you why you can have extraordinary confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. So are you ready? Because you've you really, you got to be ready. If you came to church this morning and thought, it's church, I can just check my brain at the door. I need you to go back to the door and get your brain because we're going to think a little bit this morning. So I need you to be ready. So here we go. All scholars, all scholars, they agree, and all scholars don't agree on much, but all scholars agree that the Apostle Paul was a real person who lived in the first century, that he was not just some made-up Bible person. Everybody agrees that Paul lived in the first century, and all scholars agree that the Apostle Paul had extraordinary influence on Christianity. In fact, most scholars, all scholars, really believe that Paul had more influence than Jesus did. Here's what Dr. David Harris, who's an ancient history professor at Georgia State University, said. This is what he says. The Apostle Paul had more influence on the thinking of Christianity and more influence on the spread of Christianity and the doctrine of Christianity than anyone who's ever lived, including Jesus. And you will not find a scholar anywhere that doesn't agree with that statement. That Paul, who lived in the first century, had extraordinary, extraordinary influence on Christianity. That he was the real deal. He was a real person. He really lived in the first century. And Paul wrote a bunch of letters. And 13 of these letters were gathered and they became part of what became our New Testament. But now what you might have also heard in school or that you will hear at some point is that, most, that not all of the letters in the New Testament were perhaps written by Paul. That six of these documents are considered pseudopigraphous. Now, that big, long word, pseudepigrapha, is it's just a term that is used to describe something that is written by someone who's not the person it's claimed to be written by. So what would happen in the first, second, third century, actually it happened for many centuries after that as well, is that people would write something down, and then they would put somebody, somebody famous's name on it so that they could get it read. And so they would, they would say, here, they write something down, and they say, here, I, somebody else wrote this, somebody more famous with more influence wrote this, and then people would take it, and they'd read it, and they would... And they would consider it as written by the author. So six of our 13 letters that we have from Paul, there is some, some skepticism about. Even though the New Testament itself says that Paul wrote those. But seven of those, seven of those letters are undisputed. Everybody agrees that Paul wrote those. And the letter that I just read from, 1 Corinthians, is one of those six undisputed letters. Everybody agrees that Paul wrote that letter to the church in Corinth and that it was written either in the, in the late 50s or early 60s. Now, I'm not talking about the 1950s or the 1960s. I'm talking about like the original 50s and 60s when Mike was born. Like the original 50s. And so these are the undisputed letters of Paul. Now, now again, if you, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. Google is your friend. You can fact check me on that if you want. Look it up on Wikipedia. Or, well, don't look it up on Wikipedia, but, but you know, you can Google it. But the Apostle Paul was a real person who lived in the first century, and, that he, and he wrote these documents, and it made it into our English New Testament. And so here's where I need you to put your thinking cap on. For the next few minutes, I don't want you to think about 
the Bible. Because I'm not going to say the Bible says this or the Bible says that. The Bible teaches. This isn't about that. Now, you may hear me say that in your mind because that's what you're used to hearing preachers say. But this is not a message about what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible as we know it, the Old Testament and the New Testament, put together with leather, cardboard, paper, however they put it together, that didn't happen until the 4th century, several hundred years later. The Bible wasn't assembled like our Bible until until 300 years after these letters were written. So what we're talking about for the next few minutes is not what the Bible says. What we're talking about for the next few minutes is what the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the first century said. Now, the interesting thing is I just read a passage to you from one of Paul's undisputed letters, 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians was written around the year 55. So let me put this in context, a little bit of history, a little bit of timeline. We're going to have a timeline of events that goes up on the screen as, as we go through. But here's, here's what I want you to see is that nobody disputes that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians in 55 AD. Everybody agrees on that. And Jesus was crucified around 30 or 32 AD. Now the letters to the church at Corinth was written in 55 and he wrote this letter perhaps, as you know, after he visited the church in Corinth. So that visit took place around 52 A.D. So Paul, Jesus is crucified, Paul visits Corinth, and then Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. And so Paul makes this visit. He goes, he goes to Corinth, he plants the church, and then he comes back, goes home, and he writes this letter to him. And that explains why Paul uses the past tense in the passage that I just read. Let me read it to you again and put it within the historical context. Okay, he says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. That is that he's reminding them of what he taught them three years before in 52. That he's writing to them now about in 55. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand for what I received. Now Paul's about to tell them that when, what someone else told him that he told them when he was with them. Did you follow that? That Paul's getting ready, he's basically saying, I'm going to tell you about what somebody told me when I was with you that I told you. And when I was with you, I told you that what they told me, now I'm writing this, after I've told you this, what they, what they told me, I'm writing that to you now. Everybody follow? All right, I'm glad you did. I'm sure you got it. Now, the point of all of that confusing language is this. that the information that he's about to remind them of in this letter to, that he wrote to the Corinth church, this information had been around for a while. The Apostle Paul wasn't making this up when he wrote to them about it. This wasn't the first time that they had heard it because he had been there and he'd shared it with them several years before. And this information, this message, it didn't start with him. He's basically saying, I just passed on to you what somebody else passed on to me. Here's what he says, for I received. I passed it on to you as first importance. There it is. And here's what he passed on to them. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and He was buried. Now, you need to know this too that no one disputes that Jesus was executed by the Romans. No one disputes that. In fact, there used to be a time in which there was some dispute on whether or not there was actually a historical person named Jesus, but nobody disputes that anymore. They, In fact, all scholars agree that there was a historical person named Jesus. He lived in Jerusalem. He ministered in the first century to people, and that he had a following, and that the Romans executed him. When they settled this debate on whether or not there was a real Jesus or not, they also came to the conclusion that Jesus was executed by the Romans. And Paul says exactly that, that according to the Scriptures, he died for our sins and he was buried. And then we get to the part that everybody argues about. 
that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So if you're paying attention, if you're following along, this is where we've got to put the foot on the brake and say, wait, 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 wait. So Paul wrote this in 55, after telling folks about it in 52, that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul wrote this about Jesus raising from the dead 20 years after. He'd been t- he told people this 20 years after the fact. But I thought the resurrection, the argument against the resurrection was that people told people that told people that told people that told people that generations told people and that nobody ever wrote this down. You know, that if you're 25 years old, 20 years seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? I'm still old enough or young enough that 20 years seems like a long time ago. But if you're Jeff Key's age, like if you're over the age of 50, 20 years doesn't seem that long ago. Right, Jeff? It doesn't seem that long ago, does it? But the whole argument against the resurrection was that that this was written, that these things happened so long ago that this couldn't be true. But here we have evidence that 20 years before, 20 years after, Paul had already been telling people about this. And here we find even more information, more evidence. In the year 44, Paul went to Cyprus. Because this was not the first church that Paul planted. Corinth was not the first church that Paul went to. In the year 44, Paul went to the area of Cyprus, to that area of the world, and he told those people living in that region the very same thing that he told the the Christians in Corinth. And Paul said that he knew Jesus rose from the dead because somebody else told him. Jesus rose from the dead, and so what we need to say, what we need to say is, wait, 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 we were told the resurrection is legend. That it grew up over time through oral, oral transmission and was never written down. And that eyewitnesses weren't around because they, they were gone and they were passed away. But, but now, we're just 12 years removed. Just 12 years removed from the crucifixion. And Paul says that people believed that Jesus had been crucified, that he was dead, that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead and seen. And then he goes on and he says this. He says that he was raised from the dead and on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared, that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. And then to the twelve. So, if you're following, twelve years after the crucifixion, Paul's claiming that Jesus appeared to Peter and the other disciples. Just twelve years. Just twelve years after the crucifixion. Not twenty, not thirty. Just twelve years after the crucifixion. Paul is claiming that Peter and the apostles believed that Jesus rose from the dead. So here's another question. How did Paul know that Peter believed Jesus rose from the dead? How did Paul know that? Well, he tells us. He tells us how he knew that. And and you know where he tells us that? In another one of Paul's undisputed letters that he wrote. It's in the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the church at Galatia. And that's one of our undisputed letters that that everybody agrees that Paul wrote that letter. Paul wrote it around 55 or 57 to a group of Christians that lived in the Roman province of Galatia. And in this letter, catch this, in this letter he says that three years after he became a Christian, he went to Jerusalem and paid Peter a visit. Now, I just want to put this in human terms because, again, we get all geeked out when we start reading the Bible and we think of the Bible as a a super holy book and we forget that these are real people and actual history. And so I want you to think for a minute. If you were a Christian in the first century, and you had the opportunity to spend some time with, with someone who had, who had walked with Jesus and had, had, had spent really most of their, uh, Jesus' life with Jesus, his, all of his ministry life, 
They spent all that time with Jesus. And someone said, hey, I can, uh, I can set up an appointment for you, for you to go spend some time with them. And, and you want to you wanna talk to, Jesus, uh, to people that knew Jesus, that, that walked with him, that looked into the empty tomb? You want to you wanna see you want to have a conversation with them? We would say, absolutely, sign me up. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem and he meets with Peter. And here's what we know about that meeting. We know that it happened, that it happened, uh, let's go with the next slide, in AD 40. Yeah, there we go, that it happened in AD 40. And Paul says that after that meeting happened three years after he became a Christian. So Paul come, becomes a Christian in AD 37. Just five years, five years after the crucifixion, Paul is a Christian and he's going around and he's telling people that Jesus was, was di died and was buried for our sins and that he rose from the dead and was seen. And in Galatians, this undisputed letter that Paul writes, he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. That's Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. Look at the detail he gives us. For 15 days, I stayed with him. And while I was there, I saw none of the other apostles. The only other person I got to spend time with was James, the brother of Jesus. And so here's where we go back to our timeline. This meeting that Paul and James, uh, Paul and Peter and James ha had happened around 40. But this was three years after he became a believer, which means that Paul became a Christian around 37. And so check this out. That's five years after the resurrection. Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. And he says that Peter and James are in Jerusalem. And they're already talking about the resurrection just five years after. And this is astounding. This is amazing. Because if all we had was this, if all we had was somebody talking about the resurrection 20 years after the fact, that would be incredible. But now we have this timeline of all the way to just a few years back, before, back after the resurrection of Jesus. And that we're told that people in Jerusalem already believed that Jesus was, was dead and that he rose from the dead. But there's even more. New Testament scholars, believing and unbelieving scholars, are convinced that some of what Paul said in that passage in 1 Corinthians, that part, part of what he said were part of a pre-existing creed. Now, most of us don't use creeds. Most of us don't know much about creeds. They're not very useful for us in our day and age. But a creed is a carefully crafted, usually very memorable series of statements that were used to ensure accurate transmission of important information, especially when it came to religious things. And here's why they would do that. Because in the first century, very few people could read and write. In fact, maybe in a really, really large city, uh, maybe 12 to 15% of the people could read or write. But when you got outside the big cities... Nobody could read or write, so how would you communicate important information to people who couldn't read or write? Well, they put it in the forms of poems or songs or these creeds, and they crafted them in such a way that they were easy to communicate to help people learn. And all of us have examples of this in our own life. All of us have been the beneficiary of a creed. And I'll give you an example of one. Here's one that all of us have learned at some point in our life. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now, why in the world would somebody put the alphabet in order like that and give it that cadence? To teach children who could not read how to write. To teach children who could not read or write. It wasn't a trick question, either to read or to write. A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. That's how you and I both learned. 
And then we added this little ending to it. Now I know my ABCs. Next time won't you sing with me? Now I know my ABCs. Next time won't you sing with me? Now I know my ABCs. Next time won't you? See, you've already learned it. That's the power of a creed. Now here's what scholars believe. That in this letter written within about 20 years of the resurrection, Paul quotes a creed that already existed, that was so popular among Christians that the Christians had already memorized this. Here's what he quoted. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. If I asked you to close your eyes, you could probably repeat that back to me after hearing me say it and reading it on the screen. You could probably say it, to you, say it back to me now. And the importance of this is that the resurrection was already so widely accepted that it had been summarized and included in a creed for the church. And this creed, this creed that Christ died for our sins and was buried, He rose from the dead and was seen, this creed is probably the oldest piece of literature that we have in the New Testament. It predates Paul's letter to the church at Corinth because this creed had already been written. Now, does all of this prove that Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be? No. Does this prove that Jesus rose from the dead? No. But here's what I don't want you to miss, and here's, here's kind of where I want you to lean in and really pay attention, is that Paul's letter to the, to the Corinthians, Paul's letter is evidence that people in Jerusalem who saw Jesus die believed He rose from the dead. You cannot get around that. That Paul's letter is strong evidence that when he wrote this letter, there were already people living in Jerusalem who believed Jesus rose from the dead and they were men and women who had seen Jesus die. And Paul's letter does prove two things. It doesn't prove that Jesus is who he said he was or that he rose from the dead, but it does prove two things. Paul's letter proves that the resurrection of Jesus was not a product of decades of oral transmission. In other words, this totally refutes that whole argument because he documented it. He wrote it down in the letter that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried and he rose from the dead and he was seen. He was the first person to put it in writing. It, and it wasn't 100 years after the event. It wasn't 50 years after the event. It was, it was 20 years. And people believed it long before that. It wasn't after all the eyewitnesses had passed away. He said he got this information from eyewitnesses and then he names the eyewitnesses that he got the information from. And Paul's letter proves something else as well. Paul's letter proves that the belief in the resurrection was documented while eyewitnesses were still eyewitnessing. And this is huge. This is, this is huge. Now some skeptic may say, well, maybe he was lying. Maybe Paul made it all up. Well, you need to know this too. That no reputable scholar in the history of the world has ever accused the Apostle Paul of being a liar. Skeptics, unbelievers, agnostic, atheists, professors, they may believe a whole lot of things and they may disbelieve a whole lot of things, but nobody has ever accused, none of them have ever accused Paul of being a liar. And the reason that nobody ever accused Paul of fabricating all of this is because his life validated his belief. His life validated his belief because nobody disputes the fact that Paul was a well-educated man, that he was a well-connected man, probably a, a Pharisee, and that he, he was... You know, probably pretty wealthy, and he left the comforts of, of his home. He left the comforts of his family. He left his entire belief system. He left everything and did the most dangerous imaginable thing in those days. He got on a ship, and he traveled around to all the major port cities around the Mediterranean basin. And what, you know what he did when he was there in those cities? 
he would go and he would meet with the Jews to try to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Son of God. And they would throw him out of the synagogues. And then worse, he would go to the Gentiles. Now, now this is going to sound difficult for us in the 21st century because we can't imagine the emotions associated with this. But Paul went to the Gentiles in the first century and tried to convince them that God had sent a Jew to be their Savior. That was extraordinarily and incredibly offensive to them. And they're not buying it. This is why he got stoned. It's why he was shipwrecked, why he was in prison, why he caused riots. Everywhere Paul went, there was trouble because the, the message was so extraordinarily offensive. And that's why scholars believe that Paul was absolutely convinced that he was say, what he was saying was true. Because nobody else would do this otherwise. It would be foolish. And nobody would be that foolish. You know what else no one has ever accused Paul of? Of being crazy. And the reason no one accuses Paul of being crazy is because they've read the letters that he's written. They've read his undisputed letters. They read his letter to the Christians in Rome. And it's such a sophisticated, sophisticated document. It's like as if, he was, if it was written by an attorney, like a first century lawyer. And he just creates such a tightly wound case for what he believed. And his letter to the Christians living in Galatia that we just quoted from. And, and in that letter, once again, his arguments are just so sophisticated. It's an incredible piece of literature. And so nobody's ever accused him of lying and nobody thinks that he's crazy because his life validated his belief. And his letter, just this letter to the church, to the church at Corinth, that one letter alone proves, alone proves that the Bible, the Bible did not create Christianity because the Bible didn't exist for several hundred years later. And it also proves that Christians didn't create Christianity because that's what's taught in, that's what's taught in schools and so oftentimes that a bunch of Christians, you know, five, six, seven decades later, take a couple of generations later, come up with these crazy ideas. But this letter proves that the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is what created Christianity. And in fact, only a resurrection could, could uh, launch Christianity. Only res a resurrection could have created Christianity because it's the only thing that would explain why, so, why men like Paul and like Peter and James and John had so much courage and so much boldness. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching and they get arrested. And they're brought to trial. And this isn't, this isn't like years later after the crucifixion of Jesus. This is like weeks later. And they get arrested. And they're brought to trial and they're, they're standing face to face with the same people who crucified Jesus. Had the same power to crucify them. And nothing but the resurrection helps us to understand and explain the extraordinary courage of Peter and John that when they were arrested and they, they were eyeball to eyeball with the men who held their lives in their hands and they were asked in whose name they were preaching and they said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when they looked at the very men who crucified Jesus and said, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Don't miss this, that the resurrection was central in the early Christians' message. This is, this is not decades later. This is weeks later. And when Peter and John were arrested and they were facing again the, the men who had the power to crucify them, Jesus was crucified. And they went on and they said this. They said, salvation. They said, the message, this is the message for all of us, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by, that is given by which men must be saved. Here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. No one, no one was this bold. 
No one had this much courage. No one was that brave that when facing crucifixion, when facing scourging, that's the point where men would have been on their knees begging, please, please, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet. I won't say anything else. I'll go on my way. Just don't do this to me. Peter and John, they couldn't do that. They're told, don't do this anymore. And Peter, John, Peter and John, they asked the man, well, what's right? You, you judge. You judge. What's right? To do what God says is right or to do what you say is right? And then they say this, for us, for us, for Peter and John, we cannot stop telling about what we believe. Nope, that's not what they said. They didn't say believe. They said we cannot stop telling about what we have seen and heard. You can't scare men and women who don't fear death. You can't scare men and women who have been eyeball to eyeball with the resurrection and the life. And that's how all of this got started. That It all began not based on a book, not based on on generations of people telling this story. It all began uh, with one event. One event, a historical event, and it changed my life, and I'm sure that it's changed your life, and it has changed the world, and it began with one event. And it was summarized in a creed that the early Christians learned, many of whom could not read or write, that Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. He died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. So for those of you who, like me, believe but sometimes wonder, I just want you to know, your faith Your hope, it's not in vain. We have evidence that proves that people believed Jesus had risen from the dead. And because they believed it, we can believe it. Your faith, your hope is not in vain. And for those of you who wonder if you'll ever be able to to believe this, you wonder, this is, you think this is crazy? You wonder why anybody would ever believe this? Well, now you know. Because we have evidence that people believe this. And for those of you who wonder if you'll ever be able to believe again, because you got Sunday school answers to your adult questions, I want to invite you back. I want you to reconsider the faith of your childhood because perhaps there was more to it than anyone ever told you. And you know what? There's no better day than today. There's no better day than this day to acknowledge the name that stands above every other name, the name of Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead and was seen. Heavenly Father, thank You that Your grace is so full and free. Thank You that it's grace that offers us something beyond this life. Father, thank You for preserving these texts. Thank You for the courage of of men like Paul and Peter and James, thank you for the, their courage and thank you for Paul taking the time to write these letters down for pre- and thank you for preserving these letters for us. Thank you that we don't have to have faith in, in, in a book. We have faith in an event that stands at the center of history and it changed the world. So Father, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard and the courage to do it. In the name of Jesus, who died for our sins and was buried, and rose from the dead and was seen. Amen.